Hi there and welcome to Voicebox, your weekly guide to the art of the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. It's a thrill to be here with you again, as always. Thanks for joining me. There are perhaps few more crazy things that a person can decide to do with their life than launch a boys' chorus. For one thing, in many homes across the world, singing is considered to be a sissy thing for a boy to do. Many parents would rather send their sons to soccer camp in the summer rather than choral camp so recruitment can be tricky. Music education as a whole is disappearing from our schools and then there's the challenge of training voices that are constantly in flux. One moment your star soloist is an angelic treble, the next he's a baffled baritone. Yet despite the challenges, amazing boy choirs are flourishing right here in the Bay Area, all over the country and across the world. As a result, we're dedicating tonight's show to an exploration of the young male voice, its quality, its development, and the opportunities and challenges facing boy choristers and their educators. With me in the studio to discuss this intriguing topic is Kevin Fox, the founding artistic director of the Pacific Boy Choir Academy based in Oakland, California. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, as difficult as it is to start and run a chorus for boys, that activity looks like a breeze compared to what you're up to, starting and running an entire choir school for boys. Kevin, what exactly is a choir school and how is it different from a a regular boys chorus? Well, a, a choir school is a school where everybody in the school is part of the choir. So uh, it's different from a school that has a choir. Many schools have choirs, but it's a school, uh, it's, a mu- it's a type of music school, but also uh, we do all the, all the academics at the school. So music is completely integrated into the curriculum and many choirs and boys choirs in particular, uh, since that's the topic, are after school programs, especially in America, but in other parts of the world. But there are a few choir schools around the world and those are places where the uh, the boys and in some cases girls there are some choir schools for both boys and girls uh, and in those cases the the students there sing a lot more you know 13 to 18 hours a week as opposed to usually four in an after school program okay so how old what's the age range of the kids that come to you our school is fourth to eighth grade we also run an after school program that goes from age four to 18 so, but the school portion uh, that we have is fourth to eighth grade. So that's uh, nine year nine year olds to fourteen year olds approximately. Okay, a really interesting age for boys to be that you have there. So, what on earth made you decide to found a choir school? Oh, uh, that's that's a good question. Um, I was in boys choirs growing up, and uh, you grew up right here in the Bay Area. I, yeah, I'm a San Francisco native, and. Uh, I grew up singing in boys' choirs, and it was when I was about a teenager that I started listening to recordings of choirs, and especially the King's College Choir really uh, captured my attention, and I had really never heard anything quite like it. And the choirs I was in were fine, but they weren't like that. <laughs> and uh, and so I got it in my head that that would be a really cool thing to to direct the King's College Choir, as if any American could possibly do that. Well, and you not? need to be an organist, and and they'll hire they'll <laughs> hire British people every time, or Eng- specifically English. So uh, so you know, as I grew to learn about more choirs, um, you know, there's there's plenty of great choirs around the world, but um, there were people that I knew that were interested in having a, a world class choir 
in the Bay Area, and we felt like to do that we needed to have a choir school so that you could get in a certain number of hours of training before the the boys' voices changed. Because that's kind of that's Ed, there's a, there's a time limit on every on every boy's voice. It's kind of, they're kind of like a, a ticking time bomb in a way. And so it, the question is, what can you do with their voices before before the time is up? Okay. So um, why did you decide to found this school in Oakland? We started out as an after-school program and with the intent, always the intent of having a school. And I, I think just the people between the staff and the families that we knew that were interested in this, uh, it was an East Bay thing and there, we didn't really feel like there was anything like that for, for boys in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. So although I am a San Francisco native and still live in the city, um, I travel to Oakland every day to work at the school. So the school part, the school portion was founded when? Uh, the fall of 2004 was our first year as, okay. as a school. If you've just joined us, welcome. This is Voicebox and I'm Chloe Veltman. I'm in the studio tonight with Kevin Fox, the founding artistic director of the Pacific Boy Choir Academy based in Oakland, California. We're talking about choruses for boys and we just heard snippets from two contrasting tracks performed by the Pacific Boy Choir. First up, we listened to an excerpt from the chorus's performance of Rachmaninoff's Vespers and then we heard part of a spiritual Let Me Fly in an arrangement by Robert de Cormier. Kevin, both the tracks we just heard featured low male voices as well as the trebles that you'd expect to hear in a chorus consisting of boys. Tell us about your inclusion of older voices in your organisation. Right, well, um, there's there's a a grand tradition in boys' choirs of kicking out the boys when their voices change. And uh, I think, uh, to some extent, hopefully, or at least I hope, that that that's changing. We do invite the boys to, to keep singing. Some of them have a choice for a while of singing alto or bass, for example, mm-hmm. uh, or even soprano or bass, because mm-hmm. some of them have a hole right in the middle of their range. Um, and eventually, the, you know, they have to choose tenor bass, um, or we have to choose it for them. But um, if you constantly monitor it, we feel like the boys can continue to sing, and we have many boys that continue to sing through high school. For some concerts, we, you know, for the Rock Modern Festivals, for example, just to balance out the troubles, uh, we often hire extra men, local local professional singers to uh, just to 
fill out the parts and uh, for balance purposes in particular. Okay. So this, uh, as you mentioned, it's a tradition. And so, uh, I mean, well, a lot of the things on our playlist this evening also do include men's voices. So it's actually a very accepted thing that, that happens in the world of boy choruses is having male voices there then. Has that always been the case? Um, you know, male choirs, boys and men, choirs of boys and men have, have a long tradition. New College, for example. In Oxford. It, in, Oxford it, in Oxford, it's not very new. It was founded in 1379, I believe. <laughs> and uh, so that choir's quite old. And uh, King's, I think, goes from 1411 or something. I mean, just, just ridiculously long histories. And the Vienna Boys Choir is exactly 500 years older than the Pacific Boy Choir. They were founded <laughs> in 1498. So, um, you know, in, in terms of tradition and also, which importantly, endowments, it, it certainly helps to have been around for a few hundred years. You're listening to Voicebox. This is KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. This is Voicebox, and I'm Chloe Veltman. We're talking about boy choirs on tonight's show with special guest Kevin Fox, who founded and directs the Oakland-based Pacific Boy Choir Academy, a premier choir school for boys. We just heard a couple of tracks from two of the world's most famous boy choirs. First, we listened to the choristers of King's College, Cambridge, my alma mater. I'm proud to say, though I didn't get to sing in the choir, being a girl. Performing the Agnus Dei from Misa o Quam Gloriosum et Regnum by Victoria. And then we heard the Vienna Boys Choir singing A Gloria by Josef Handel. Kevin, what makes the sound of the two choirs we just heard here so special? Is their fame deserved? You know, they're just these. These, have, these both these choirs have a long history. Uh, they can recruit widely as far as talent goes, and and also their staff. They can recruit the best uh, trainers of that they can find. So, um, you know, the, there's three things that make a good choir: uh, talent, teaching, and time. Mm-hmm. So, and they both have schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, the King's College School is not a choir school per se. It started out that way, and they have other other boys that's. Uh, aren't in the choir um, and the Vienna Boys Choir is a choir school um, and uh, obviously quite old and they have their the Algarten Palace there in Vienna and uh, they have four choirs there and theoretically equal mm-hmm. but um, that could have been you know who knows which which of their four choirs it was at, at the time of that recording but uh, could have been a combination of them as well so they have a lot of lots of depth and King's College is is 
has notoriety that uh, and history. They have lots of, lots of things going for them that that make them. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent choirs. Right. Now, we were talking a little bit uh, about the history just before, you know, mm-hmm. touched a little bit on Egypt and ancient Rome. Yeah. We don't really know what went on there, but apparently there may have been some boy choruses. And it would just be lovely to hear a bit more about the history and the tradition. I mean, leaving those ancient uh, societies aside that we don't really know about, can you tell us a little bit more about how boy choirs have developed over time, you know, where where the kind of the tradition that we know today started and, and how the, the it developed and spread. Well, I think there's um, there's not uniformity amongst choirs or choir schools amongst either one. I think that uh, in England that they tend to be most mostly of the same model. Um, so you know those started these, these were collegiate choirs and kind of uh, had a monastic type of setup, and uh, so boys were used to, to sing in the uh, in the chapels and also. Uh, as far as I understand, to to get training to become future members of the clergy. So those choirs go way back, and obviously their their purpose has has evolved somewhat. But you know, a lot of the things they do continue. So so the English style choir is is fairly has been, I would say, arguably over over history the last few hundred years the most consistent. The Vienna Boys Choir was uh, founded for. Maximilian the first, the second. How many <laughs> Maximilians were there? But I don't uh, know. one of the early Maximilians. <laughs> so Max decided that uh, he wanted a choir for the for the royal chapel there. So uh-huh. it, they still sing in the royal chapel, but their their reputation as a touring, kind of famous concert choir evolves kind of in the 1920s or so. It was actually because of World War II and they weren't able to travel that the American Boy Choir was founded, or at least that's part one of the reasons. And the American Boy Choir kind of copied their model mm-hmm. uh, starting in 1937 in Columbus and uh, the, they're, they're boarding schools. So there, there's boarding schools and day schools and there's choir schools and, and schools with choirs that are maybe started <laughs> as choir schools. So there's... there's Subtle diff- distinctions. There, yeah, there are variations on a theme and in America there are a couple boarding schools and a couple day schools mm-hmm. and a lot of after school boys choirs. Certainly I think there's like... There's, Somebody keeps track of this stuff, and last count I heard, there's about 55 uh, boys' choirs in North America, oh, okay. and about five of which have schools. Okay. Well, that's not very many, is it, compared to Europe? I mean, the Pacific Boy Choir Academy, um, you told me, is like the only such institution for thousands of miles, right? So is there any kind of tradition here, really? I mean, is that small number of choirs enough to start a real tradition? Well, I think it's kind of up for grabs. I mean, you know, um, there's more of a tradition of of uh, a particular sound of American boys' choirs than a particular structure. Okay. Well, we'll get on to talking a little bit about that sound more mm-hmm. in, in a, a second. Um, back to this I- issue of tradition, though. Um, it seems that the tradition of the boy choirs steeped in the in the Christian church to a larger degree because that's what it came out of in, in England and Europe. And, and a lot of these boy choir institutions, unlike yours, for example, are connected to religious institutions mm-hmm. of one kind or another. Right. Um, so how has the boy choir world developed an identity for itself separate from the church in recent decades to have a more secular standing? I think um, you could ask the same thing about any choir because... Uh-huh. You know, most choral music that we hear, aside from video game soundtracks, although that that uh, kind of demonstrates the point. You know, most of it's sacred church music. So, I think that that that's not particularly a boys' choir issue. I mean, it's mm-hmm. certainly an issue, but it's it's not unique to boys' choirs. And uh, there's all sorts of music that um, 
has that has evolved that's that's not religious. So I think that every boys choir should have their fair dose of of uh, if you want to call it classical religious music. But um, there's lots of choirs, including our own, that are trying to do different things and seeing what else can be done. Uh, we did a few concerts with the Marcus Shelby Jazz Orchestra mm-hmm. doing Duke Ellington music, for example. Um, we did a couple of concerts with him about a year and a half ago doing Christmas music. So that's kind of Christian, but it's Christmas. So depending on who you ask, it's secular. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there's there's choirs branching out, doing pop music, you know, doing all sorts of different things. And I think I think all choirs are doing that. They're, they're trying to find their relevance in, in the world. Lots of people are in choirs, but I th- and most of those are church choirs in America. Um, so I think every choir is asking the same question. Okay. Well, I'd like to move on now to talking more about the training of boys' voices, Mm -hmm. because working with boys is pretty different to working with girls. We'll get onto the nuts and bolts of this uh, issue in a bit, but first, I'd like to play two samples now so people can hear the difference in quality between the voice of a girl and the voice of a boy. So what we'll do is we'll hear a snippet from Schubert's famous Ave Maria, performed first by a girl soprano, Daniela Young, and then by a boy soprano, Andrew Swate. Schubert's Ave Maria is performed first by a girl, Daniela Young, and then by a boy, Andrew Swate. This is Voicebox, and I'm Chloe Veltman. Kevin Fox, the founder and head of one of this country's few boy choir schools, the Pacific Boy Choir Academy, based in Oakland, is in the studio with me for a chat about boys' choruses. Kevin, can you summarise for us the difference between the young male and young female voice as captured in those two recordings we just listened to, please? Well, I think that there's some generalities that are illustrated there that are are good to touch on. For starters, I think that there's kind of a stereotype that the girls' voices have a lot more vibrato, and mm-hmm. and that's can be the case. I think you know, with boy soloists, especially recently, they've been trained more to to let their voices go some more, and so you do get some of the vibrato. But um, and it it depends on how you train them. So if you if you train there are English choirs that that train adult women to sound like boys just because they don't want to work with kids, uh, and there are there, are, you know, you can train one voice to sound like another one. But in that in those uh, examples, there are definitely notes in the first recording that are 
they're, they're just the sound cannot be made by a boy mm-hmm. and there are notes in the second recording where the sound just cannot be made by a girl so some things are are quite similar um but there's a certain quality and uh i would there's a certain a lot of people call it a ring there's a certain ring in boys voices and um to me uh you know a 16 year old girl isn't that much different than just hearing a grown woman sing it mm-hmm. and in that case um it may be you know why not just have a grown woman do it that that has more training and that uh maybe can put more expression into it they're lighter though young women's voices that's true. in in general right that's true although some some girls choirs and some um solo girls voices are trained so that for them to sound like grown grown women so in that case you know there's another example of what's can you tell the difference kind of thing well so given the differences how do you go about training boys well the the main thing to keep in mind is that is that again this race it's a race against time and mm. so um as you go through the process there's there's kind of a constant shifting going on and uh, you know uh, female voices change as well there's just a very gradual thing and an 8-year-old girl doesn't sound like a 30-year-old woman um and uh but but for boy, boys it's obviously a more dramatic kind of uh what's the word? what's the word I'm looking for shift perhaps uh yeah well, there's there's there are shifts and then there's and then there's kind of the actual change i i think there's definitely one main shift in boys voices before it actually changes mm-hmm. um so there's you have to pay attention to those to those subtleties um but um we we work with uh, boys complete range. It's as as um, as we were talking about having boys sing alto, our boys sing alto, as opposed to the English style choirs where the boys only sing soprano. So they may they may recruit out boys that could sing alto but wouldn't make very good sopranos. So we train both kinds of voices, and um, so you know the fun good vocal technique is good vocal technique no matter how mm-hmm. old you are. But it's especially when dealing with uh, the uniqueness of boys' voices, which the the, the change how, how they change, and also where the registers are. There's about you know usually three registers in a boy's voice, where the where those breaks are, and you know every voice is different. So you, there's a certain amount of individuality that you have to bring mm-hmm. to each each voice. But you know we we focus on vocal training. Where all of our teachers are singers and professional singers, and as well as teachers and conductors. So we're not just looking at group vocal technique, which is also important, and we're not just looking at at um, the the combined sound, which is obviously important, but but we we trying to train each singer to be the best singer he can be, mm-hmm. and that's that's going to be a little bit different for each kid. So do do the kids also get one on one individual uh, training, or do they just learn as an ensemble? Um, no, we actually we all the time are doing one on one things. Mm-hmm. It could be for a solo, but it could also be uh, just to learn some notes. Maybe they've switched parts because their voice shifted, but it could be just we try to give them regular voice lessons. And uh, it could be some remedial kind of thing for part of their voice, or it could uh, it could just be something we really think is just the next step in their vocal development. Okay, so what, in your opinion, makes a really great boy choir sound? What is it that you're aiming for with these boys in training? That's a good question. So, what's um, w- the thing I, that I love about the sound, uh, aside from the that is there's a certain thrill to knowing that every time you hear a boys choir that it could be the last time it ever sounds like that there's various <laughs> various permutations but mm-hmm. you know every, if you listen if you see all you have to do is see a choir from one year to the next mm-hmm. and it looks different so um there's certainly a, a certain um you know s- special sense to every choir that you hear uh, from even from year to year but um 
in, in particular, our, I think our sound, a lot of people talk about our sound, and we have a, partic- a particularly rich sound, I think, mm-hmm. because I am a countertenor, that could have something to do with it, because that's, I'm um, you know, a professional alto, but obviously people don't necessarily come to boys' choir concerts to hear boy altos, so <laughs> it, we need to have good sopranos uh, as well. So um, we we like versatility and uh, in, the, in their voices, and we want them we want to be able to sing different kinds of music mm-hmm. so we want them to sound good in different kinds of music but the particular sound is has an edginess to it and an excitement to it that i'm you know i would probably people would say that we kind of we tread the line of of what is maybe too edgy but uh hopefully hopefully we stand on the uh, on the good side of that but you know a, we're going for a robust sound that's not affected, uh, that's not trying to sound like something else, a very mm-hmm. free, open sound um, that comes from good vocal technique with relaxation where, where you're supposed to be relaxed, not, not a lot of tightness in your throat and the, and mm-hmm. the shoulders. And, um, you know, you can still sing that way, but it just sounds different and, you, you know, you can damage your voice and you can't sing that way forever. Mm-hmm. So if we feel like if you, if you sing with good vocal technique that you will get the sound that we get. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not something that's it's a huge mystery, but it does take work. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself getting frustrated You know, when you have that, that week where the chorus is making the perfect sound and you're so excited and then you know, a couple of boys', is, boys voices break and you know, it all starts to shift around? Do you, do you, is that, does that make you feel cross sometimes? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, there's, a cer- there's a certain cycle to it. To, you know, we're a school now, so there's a certain cycle to the school year, and then, and, but you can't you can't organize their voices around the school year. So, um, the I've heard, I've heard other boys choir directors tell me the boys' voices change faster in the summer. I don't know if I believe that. Ah, strange. But yeah, it, I, there's a certain amount of uncertainty that you just have to accept. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that being said, it it can be very frustrating if you have you you could have picked a piece that's perfect for this happened to us actually. We we're recording uh, finishing our our recent spirituals recording at Skywalker Ranch in October and we had this one song that we've been singing for two years and this one soloist and I'd picked the song because his voice was perfect for it and we just got in the studio and he just couldn't do it oh, no. and it, he was so rock solid on it and he had sung it in on three oh. different continents and you know he he's he's one of our best soloists ever but if you don't have the notes you don't have the notes oh poor thing that must have been even more tragic for him perhaps than for you yeah, it could be, could be. So, you know, I didn't even, usually I have a backup, and in that case, I did not, which uh, kind of breaks my rule, but just because he was so solid on it for, for so long. But um, we always have a backup for soloists. Uh, having said that, there, we always have a backup for soloists, because in addition to voice shifts and voice changes, you know, they're kids. They get sick, somebody gets injured. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this business of the breaking voice. Uh-huh. Um I thought we could listen to a couple of short excerpts sung by the teenage pop idol Justin Bieber, just to kind of get an idea of how of how this sort of voice is in transition. So the first half of the recording will feature Justin's voice before it broke, and the latter half is the same song sung after the break or sort of in a transition period, and there's a palpable difference, as I hope you'll hear. Stop, stop. 
I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox. Kevin Fox, the head of the Pacific Boy Choir Academy, is in the studio with me tonight and we're talking about boys' choruses and training the young male voice. The voice we just heard was that of the teenage pop idol Justin Bieber. The first half of the recording featured Justin's voice before it broke, when he was just a young thing. And the latter half was the same song, sung after the break, after no doubt he'd got a few hairs on his chin. So there's quite a change there and Bieber's voice has changed even more since that recording was made. Kevin, how do you deal with voices as they start to break and change? And what are we hearing there in Justin's voice that's familiar to you? Right. Well, for starters, I think, you know, in, in the UK, they would say break. And and people that learned British English would say break. And, I, and in America, we tend to say change. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that reflects how most boys choirs are in America, that, mm. that they don't really see it as just a one one moment in time kind of thing. It's kind of, it's a, it's a process. Okay. Now, there are certainly... Uh, steps along the process, but I think in the in the British choirs, as we've been saying, since they only think uh, since they only sing soprano and mm-hmm. is the tradition that um, when they're after a certain shift, uh, after a certain break, they just can't sing soprano. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could sing alto or tenor or bass, but there's other people there to sing that. So they get and just thrown out of the choir, basically. So yeah, and maybe they become the verger or, or whatever they do. Um, but um, so I, you know, th- that's a ver- you you picked up a very good very good examples there for Justin Bieber. So uh, what, for example, our high schoolers were constantly changing the key of mm-hmm. certain pieces that we learn mm-hmm. to fit the voices that we have. And the, the first thing I noticed about that recording is diff- it's in a different key. Mm-hmm. So and especially when you have lots of uh, digitized tracks and that kind of thing, it's easy to just change the key. So for starters, you change the key. And I would say for his for his voice, I'd say there's two general categories of of voice changes and one is where the boys get a just a hole in the middle of their voice mm-hmm. they, so they can still sing quite high and in some cases higher than they could when before their voice started shifting mm-hmm. around and they can also sing bass so uh, I'd mentioned boys that can sing soprano and bass at the same time so usually those boys have a hole in the middle of their range and it's just it's just no man's land a hole is so, in like there's nothing comes out when they sing sometimes or? they sing in just air or you get the popping thing mm-hmm. where you know I think you know guys can still do that when they're older when they're uh, 30 or 40 they, they just, you just control it but it's just a mess and it's, it's just this no man's land of air and, and yodeling sounds and so we try to keep those guys above or below the break and, now, and there's a second kind of um, of change and you know you, you, it depends on who you ask maybe people wouldn't agree with me that there's these two main kinds but the second kind I would say is, is where um, they get some lower notes and they don't entirely lose their upper notes, and then the whole so they their range expands, and then it just kind of slides downward. So and we have boys that have four or five octave ranges for a period of time, and it's very interesting. It, the soprano sounds don't, soprano notes don't sound like a boy's soprano so much, but it, it it's just it's very it's almost counter tenory, and I would say that I haven't you know you don't hear Justin Bieber singing in you know head voice too much, mm-hmm. but I would I would bet that um, he doesn't have a hole in the middle of his voice. He's got kind of that. The voice that kind of slides, and I would say that uh, the second recording is an example of someone who's kind of midway along that mm-hmm. along that process. So, as you said, his voice would probably still still get lower, and that is, you know, when you hear a, a college glee club, you can kind of tell that they're in college. When I mean, you hear a high school high school singers, you can kind of tell that they're in high school. I mean, you know, it's, the male voice keeps keeps shifting, and um, I would say in his case that we're, we're kind of midway there and, and that he is of that that second type of the, the where his voice just kind of slides down and um 
He's got people that know how to work with that, obviously. Yeah, clearly. And some really good auto-tune, perhaps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, never, that never hurts, right? So it used to be the case that many choral directors, even in this country, would ask their boy choristers to leave or stop singing for a while when their voices started to change. But that view seems to have become unfashionable in recent years. Why is it important, do you think, to keep the boys singing through the change? Well, uh, again, good vocal technique is good vocal technique. And like anything, if you don't practice it, then you could lose it. So um, to keep to keep their skills fresh, that's one that's one important, important reason. Secondly, they're incredibly useful f- for our choir. Uh, you know, we we use all the voices. There's there's a reason that there's four voice parts in general, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. And everybody fits one of those parts. And uh, was, was it the, the Zimbabwean? Uh, um, saying that if you can sing, if you can speak, you can sing, and if you can walk, you can dance. Is that how that goes? Mm-hmm. So speaking is the same mechanism. So anybody that can sing has some range that they can use. So, um, you know, you just have to, it, it just takes a lot of monitoring, I should say, and making sure that they're not wrecking their voice. And and they can be very functional members of a choir. And also I think for boys that love to sing, I just can't imagine, you know, being in a boys' choir and then somebody saying, sorry, but go find something else that you like to do, you know, especially if they've been doing it at a high level and really love performing or love certain kind of music or whatever. It just seems kind of strange to me that that they would have to be told that they have to find a new hobby. Right. And with, uh, you know, the whole idea of it being quite difficult to find men to sing later on, I mean, part of the problem is that if you have boys that sing and then they stop singing for a while, a lot of them don't come back to singing. So keeping them singing helps continue that so that they'll be lifelong singers, you know. Exactly, exactly. And you can, you look in college choirs and you look in uh, adult church choirs or lots, even lots of professional choirs, it's much easier to find women of a good quality and it's, you know, tenors everybody always wants tenors right so and they have to come from somewhere Mm. so uh, if they've started young there's more likelihood that we have tenors and basses you know we are training the tenors and basses of the future and if and if they weren't singing now it doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't be as good or wouldn't be wouldn't sing the same part it they just might not be singing at all so and that's something we found when we're, we're looking for boys um, for the choir is people say, oh, wow, the, the Oakland Public Schools, they've gotten rid of all their music, and wow, that must actually work in your favor, and you must find all sorts of people that are sick of not having music in the public schools, and it's actually the opposite, is that it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and, mm. and the, the schools that don't have music, we don't, they don't, they don't give it a second thought, really. Music doesn't seem like something they should do. So we get a lot more boys from schools where there is music, where they have exposure to that, and um, that was that was kind of actually a surprise to me when we uh, started this choir.
here on Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman. We're talking about boy choruses with special guest Kevin Fox. Kevin is the founder and artistic director of the Pacific Boy Choir Academy. We just heard brief performances by three boys choruses based here in the Bay Area. The Chapel College Men and Boys Ensemble of Pacific Collegium, uh, an organisation based in Oakland and led by Christopher Kula. Uh, that song started the set with Vigilate from William Byrd's Cantiones Sacre. Then we heard the Ragazzi Boys Chorus led by Joyce Kyle and based in San Mateo with Henry Purcell's jaunty Sound the Trumpet. The track comes from the ensemble's Splendors of the Baroque album. Finally, we listened to the San Francisco Boys Chorus with an American hymn. The conductor was Ian Robertson and the track comes from the group's album Moving On. We clearly have a wealth of young male vocal talent in the Bay Area, judging from the musical excerpts we just heard, Kevin. Um, of course, we didn't get a chance to play the um, any music by the Grace Cathedral Choir of Men and Boys, for one, and there are probably some others as well that would have been lovely to have included if we had time on the playlist. Can you tell us, uh, what can you tell us about the scene for boy choruses here in the Bay Area? Well, there are lots of opportunities for boys and girls, for that matter, to sing in the Bay Area, and uh, we have... More, I think we have more choirs per capita in the Bay Area than anywhere in the country. That's think, very possible. I think I, I read that somewhere. Mm. So um, there's ample opportunity for, for boys that want to sing to find a choir so that they can, so that they can pursue music, which, um, you know, in lots of places in the world, this is kind of a normal thing. It's just kind of what everybody does. Mm. And uh, it's unfortunately, I think, become more of, of a specialty, specialty, specialist kind of thing. And uh, I think that having lots of choirs means that it can be more of a normal thing because anyone can find a choir that's that's near them within their within their commute radius that you know in their microclimate that works for them yeah i mean we're really spoiled here in terms of choice um what about this recruitment issue though i mean how easy is it to recruit boys for choruses and i mean given that so many choruses really i mean girl, there are lots and lots of girls who want to sing right mm-hmm. um fewer boys how do you and your colleagues go about recruiting for your organization and and the the scene in general how how is recruitment well i think you know any anytime you go to some sort of choir conference there's always there's always some seminar about recruiting for boys choirs it's mm-hmm. it's almost it's a staple it, it's become almost comical it's, because it, nobody has any new ideas it's mm. just difficult it's it's just difficult so uh, recruiting girls is easy and that uh as some of our staff would say, that takes some of the fun out of it. There's no <laughs> challenge there if they just walk, come, you know, knock on your door. So, you know, it's it's one thing to to find boys and uh, and you know, there's there's kids all over the place. And but in I think for boys, you have to convince them this is something they want to do, which mm. is not that easy always. It's it's a very um, it's it's a, it's a tough task. So um, has, for example, the popularity of Glee and the sing-off and American Idol helped grow the interest level for singing among, bo- among boys at all? I think that's made it more of a cool thing to do. Yeah. In America, um, recently it's been kind of, oh, that's, that's what girls do, girls mm. sing. Um, but um, certainly those shows help a lot. There's, you know, they're different style to some extent. Uh, certainly American Idol's just soloist, for example. But it certainly helps to have, to tell people, you know, the number one show and America is a singing show, that kind of thing.
Here on Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman, and special guest Kevin Fox of the Pacific Boy Choir Academy, we just heard from four more brilliant boy choirs from around the world. The first track featured the new college choir of Oxford with an excerpt from Fauré's Cantique de Jean Racine. And then we heard the Tölzer Knabenchor from Bavaria, Germany with Zigeuner Leben, or Gypsy Life, by Robert Schumann. Third in the set, we heard a taste of the Lithuanian Asia Lucas Choir with Durufle's Ubi Caritas. And finally, the Drakensberg Boys Choir from South Africa performed a snippet from the song Tinen do Zabante. Now, we've heard tonight from some of the most famous boy choirs in the world. Um, most of them seem to be based in Europe. Um, to what extent, Kevin, do American choirs strive to imitate the sound of these European choruses that have a much longer heritage? I think that we're not, yeah, I don't think we're trying that hard to do that. Maybe, nah, I'd say no. The, the English style choirs, that's definitely a tradition that mm. you can kind of just pick up a cathedral and put it anywhere and it, you'll, you'll get a very similar sound. Obviously, pronunciation anywhere you have different vowels and, and consonant combinations, two different choirs singing the same song will sound very different. So, uh, you know, the Tsegoyna Leben, for example, we sing it, but it, it's never going to sound quite like that because mm-hmm. we're not native German speakers. So, um, it's... Uh, I think there's there's definitely an American sound because mm-hmm. of our speech patterns, uh-huh. and um, I think that you can copy tone. That's something that that we do try to copy. You can copy tone and energy, mm-hmm. um, even some performance practice things. But I don't. I'm I'm not when we do Tsugoyna Leben. Uh, we we try, but we're never going to sound quite like Tulsa Kanaban Corps or the Vienna Boys Choir singing in their native language. And that's one of the reasons we like when we go overseas. We take American music with us. 
So that Lithuanian choir that we heard, the, the Azilukas Choir, um, which you introduced me to, uh, Kevin, mm-hmm. um, that chorus has been around since the 1950s. But as you mentioned, it wasn't until fairly recently that people sort of knew about it uh, in the wider world. Can you tell us about why that might that was and um, and what can choruses from other parts of the world learn from these only now emerging Eastern European boys ensembles? Well, one of, one of the interesting things is is um, how one of the interesting things to me about boys choirs and especially boys choirs uh, in America relative to other places is that when you look at a place like Germany or uh, the former Soviet republics is that there's there's just a, a different sense of how they approach a group activity. So I think that it's the Soviet the Soviet style of, of all for one and one for all what tran- translates kind of well to to choirs is is we all have to do this together and you know kids don't usually know why or for what reason you're saying that kind of thing but um, in a in a Soviet system, they uh, they had some really really excellent choirs, and they were able to capitalize. Can I say that right? They were able to capitalize <laughs> on uh, a mentality of doing everything for the greater good. And mm-hmm. I think that um, for better or worse, we have less of that mm-hmm. here, um, and it, I think that makes it a little bit more difficult for us. Um, but these Eastern European choirs, they they have state support still. Mm. Many of them, they have a long history, and for a long time, they were, you know, held up as models for the arts for their city. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if they, you know, if they were supported by the state, as many of them were, and almost almost all of them, as far as I can tell, then they they did quite well. And and so there were these thriving thriving choirs and choir schools in some some cases that were we didn't know anything about, and of course we didn't get recordings and. Mm-hmm. And so we're now just starting to hear about some of these choirs in the Czech Republic or um, that's, you know, Lithuania or, or even Russia mm-hmm. that um, we, we just didn't know anything about before. All right. Well, I'd like to um, play a, a track now from one of the premier uh, choruses here in the States. Um, we've mentioned them a few times, the American Boy Choir, which is based in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, can you just tell us briefly, Kevin, what's the relationship between that chorus on the East Coast and your own? Do you see, what are the affinities, the differences? What are the affinities? Well, um, full disclosure, I used to work there. So, okay. Um, and uh, when we started this choir, for example, our, our summer camp staff, uh, when we do our summer camp, we didn't have anybody to be camp counselors mm-hmm. because we started with a bunch of eight-year-olds. So um, a lot of our camp staff and then later even school staff have been American Boy Choir School graduates and um, you know they're kind of our cross-country big brother rival perhaps I mean just like any any brothers Mm -hmm. I guess Um, so we know a lot about them they know a lot about us we copy some things from them they copy some things from us Um, and there there are plenty of differences obviously East Coast uh, West Coast for variety of reasons is is different and they're a boarding school and we're not but um, it was it was they who really, uh, especially with Jim Litton, who I mentioned previously, who was a director there for, I don't know, maybe a long 20 time. years, mm-hmm. maybe 20 years through the 90s uh, in particular, who, who number one, got the boys to continue singing through voice change, but also, uh, I would argue, helped develop, uh, and, and George Bragg at the Texas Boys Choir in the 60s, develop a sound that was uniquely American. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I think that before George Bragg and, and Jim Linton, that there were people doing a lot of uh, mixed choirs or, or trying to get their kids to sound like an, a European choir, for example. Um, but there is a uniquely American sound, and I, I think that a lot of choirs started to model their sound after the American Boy Choir, which I think is pretty well demonstrated in the, in the clip that you have. You're tuned into Voicebox. I'm Chloe Veltman. With me in the studio for a discussion about boys' choruses is Kevin Fox of the Pacific Boy Choir Academy. We just heard the American Boy Choir, which is based in Princeton, New Jersey, with a setting by John Kuzma of America the Beautiful. The track comes from the ensemble's album Sing. Now, much of the music we've heard so far on tonight's show, Kevin, has been fairly traditional, lots of classical stuff and a smattering of patriotic songs and spirituals. Why do boy choirs focus so much on standard repertoire and what inroads are being made to broaden the range of what's being performed by boys' choruses? Well, there is uh, the tradition factor and a lot of these pieces were written for boys' voices and some of them, especially in America, have never been heard Mm -hmm. uh, using boys' voices. So, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, early music ensembles and Listen, listen to how with the period instruments how how Bach would have heard it. Well, Bach was a voice choir director, mm-hmm. so um, you know there's there's lots of music that was written with that sound in mind. And unless you have a really good choir, you're not going to be hearing a lot of Bach sung by boys. Um, right. You know, here and there, um, a piece here, a piece there, but not you know cantatas or, or uh, uh, you know we recorded two of two of his so-called Lutheran masses, for example. So one one thing that Pacific Boy Choir is doing is trying to bring those pieces to American audiences. So in that sense, uh, I guess you could argue that in a way we're we're doing things backwards. But um, the boys like they'd rather perform Rachmaninoff Vespers and a lot of things mm-hmm. that we that we give them. Um, that being said, there's all sorts of new things you can find. So there's a choir from London that does a lot of. Um, Gosh, how to describe it? They're called Libera. They're the St. Philip's Choir from mm-hmm. London, if, you, if you're yeah. familiar with them. Yeah, very so, famous in the pop, sort of pop crossover yeah, type of environment. Yeah, like um, I always describe it. It sounds like um, like Japanese animation music. <laughs> so it's very, you know, it's Robert Preisman does, does a brilliant job kind of uh, putting putting that sound together. So that's one example where you have lots of, you know, lots of synthesizers mm. and they go on stage with lots of uh, dry ice and, uh, and, and <laughs> robes. Uh, I don't know if they're lasers, maybe. Maybe lasers. They wear they, robes? They have white robes, you know, mm, with the hoods yeah. and stuff. It's a little bit Monty Python-ish, in my opinion. But, <laughs> um, you know, there's there's pop songs. We um, we recorded the Yahoo Yodel, mm-hmm. for example. So, you know, there's an example where, I mean, it's just it's a three-second thing. Or actually, there's a three-and-a-half-second version, or two, four-and-a-half-second version, et cetera. But, um, you know, there's there's other uses for boys' choirs, obviously. Zach Galifianakis used this for his DVD, um, mm-hmm. which... 
uh, it's just impossible to describe in 400 <laughs> words or less. But uh, Zach, Zach is a comedian for anyone who doesn't Zach know. Zach is a comedian. Uh, yeah. And uh, I highly recommend his DVD. Okay. <laughs> only only because that's a plug for us as well. But no, Zach's, Zach's very funny and... and uh, um, and he's, he uses choirs from time to time and has used us a few times. So, you know, there's there's choirs doing various things, some of which it's really up to people's opinion whether it's a good idea or not. So, I mean, do you think that, that boy choirs have to do this kind of stuff in order to, to stay relevant in the era of Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber and Glee and iTunes? I think that's that's a really good question. Um how many how many views do you need on YouTube, and how many friends do you need on or likes do you need on your Facebook page to be important enough to be worthy of surviving? Because you know, mm-hmm. lots of nonprofits are are struggling, and tends to be the organized and well-funded ones that that last. So, and you know, we want to be one of those. So, um, is that what you need to do? Gosh, maybe. Well, that's just about all we've got time for tonight, Kevin, sadly. I'd like you to thank you very much for coming in and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. To find out more about the Pacific Boy Choir Academy, please visit the organisation's website at pacificboychoir.org or indeed, as Kevin said, you can hit them up on Facebook or both. Next week, we'll be asking you to engage your imaginations in an unusual way as Voicebox takes a look at the world of ventriloquism. Believe it or not, ventriloquists used to be a popular fixture on the radio airwaves. And as you'll find out from tuning into our show next Friday night, there's no reason why this quirky art form shouldn't be a regular part of radio programming today. I'll be here in the studio with playwright and theatrical impresario Sean Owens, ventriloquist Ron Coulter, and Ron's puppet partner of 60 years, Sid Starr, for a discussion about the art technique and culture of throwing your voice. I'll play us out with another track by the Pacific Boy Choir Academy. Here's the chorus with a setting of the spiritual The Battle of Jericho, arranged by Moses Hogan. Have a songful week.